Okay, testing one, two, three. Welcome back to Black, Beautiful, and Autistic. This is episode two Autistic Adult Diagnosed as a Woman of Color The Long Gaslighting Journey. So, like the title says, today I'm going to talk about the um, my journey as a um, person of color. Uh, in my long gaslighting journey of getting diagnosed and like you know all that had to go with it in the first episode i just kind of gave an introduction about what i wanted to do with the podcast what i was going to talk about and i figured this is the start because that's when it started for me this journey you know this journey of being an autistic individual um i got diagnosed when i was an adult so that's why i'm going to have the perspective of getting diagnosed as an adult I hear, I have here, I don't know what I was going to say that, but I have here, um, my, like, official, confidential, neuropsychological, psychological evaluation, um, that it was taken in 2012. I have the original one that was given to me, and... Uh, I actually read it about an hour ago to refresh my memory, you know, because I don't read it like every day. So I was like, I wonder what, you know, what happened. You know, I think the last time I read it was maybe like three or five years ago or something like that. A really long time ago. I don't know. It was, oh, actually, no, it was about two years ago because I had to, that's another story, but I'll, I'll talk about that in like a future episode. And Anyways, so today we're going to talk about the whole process, how extremely hard it was to go through the process um, and just how extremely hard it was in in life in general. I'm also going to talk about how I was gaslighted by everyone, including myself, and how that affected and changed how I went through this journey. I'm going to talk about my childhood and uh, signs that, you know, could have been shown or seen if we had more knowledge about it. Um, This is back in 2012. So the amount of knowledge that we have now today is so much more than that time. It was even before, you know, there was a definition change of Asperger's to autism. And I actually got diagnosed like maybe a month before they were to change that diagnosis or months before they were going to change the diagnosis or the, the name. So like my official evaluation says the Asperger's because that's what it was called then. And I'm also going to talk about yeah the childhood, all those signs and symptoms that could have potentially helped me, um, but they weren't available to me and how that kind of affected me. Just a little bit about that. And then also I'm going to talk about pre and post diagnosis, being diagnosed um, and trying to figure in and the, the, the difference between like how it was before I got diagnosed and how it was after and a little bit about all that stuff, like what uh, things that helped the getting the proper resources, stuff like that. And how you guys can get proper resources, I guess, by me telling you and neatly telling you what resources you can get as well. Um, and then why is it important for people of color to get diagnosed? 
I think it's extremely more important for people of color to get diagnosed because of the fact that there wasn't for many, many, many years, there wasn't a standard, there wasn't something to look at um, in communities uh, with people of color. So I really want to talk about why it's important because there is that big debate like, oh, you shouldn't have to get diagnosed. But that's always, it's easier for specific groups and entities to say that because they have the support but in minority communities already there's a huge difference in just being in a minority let alone living in a society where you know going to a therapist or a psychologist is not heard of or known because you're just trying to survive you know and then on top of that you add the, the complications of psychology to it and not wanting to admit anything just trying to grind 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 and just looking at that and also it's just so different because when you go and seek help you get gaslighted more than a non-minority community so there's that issue of like when you're finally ready to be open to help you're meted with so much um gaslighting so much denial of oneself and in that's a huge issue and that's why i think it's important to get an official diagnosis so that people can start to do the studies that needs to be done in our communities and stuff like that now i know that it's gotten better but i feel like we have a long still a long road ahead of us so that's why i want to bring it and i might even make it into another podcast just talking about the the literal statistics and all that stuff like that that goes with it um but this is like in the frame my whole diagnosis journey is in the frame of 2012 so a lot of the stuff has morphed and, and gotten better but this is like my headspace during that time and journey so i'm going to focus on that and then maybe later on i'll talk about like current times and like still how we have a lack of information with people of color and just information in general with women and um you know african-american women and just all of the minorities that you could think of um and so that's what i'm going to end it with i'm also going to talk about um other things in between <laughs> um but hopefully you get this in you know quite soon so again welcome to this podcast episode two autistic adult diagnosed as a woman of color the long gaslighting journey and we will get ready but before we get ready um this is the perfect time to you know i know for if you're an autistic individual and you're like you're listening and instead of just sitting and listening you know maybe get up and tidy up your room or you know do something that will be productive while this is happening because if you start a podcast unproductive for me at least i always end up just being unproductive the entire time because i'm just listening but if i start with being productive then i'm i have to stay busy so i end up like doing everything that i need to get done so i encourage you to do the same thing um all right and we're gonna get started with this first thing we're gonna talk about is childhood i have a list um a very organized list because i wanted to make sure that i included everything and i didn't forget or i didn't go off on a tangent or you know just put things in different you know order of things i just kind of wanted to make it very clear so um, i said there's no editing like every episode i've done so far i have not needed to totally edit i may have like taken empty moments where i'm just not saying anything just to like make it because that, that, that's weird just kind of like do that but anyways um so let's get started so childhood 
so again this is going to be geared in my viewpoint because obviously i'm not going to go through every childhood you could literally google that yourself go to the cdc.gov website and look at the signs that they say or you could go to nhs if you want to because i feel like the uk sometimes does it better um in terms of specifically autism i feel like they they have it more down pack um but i mean the cdc is obviously a good place to go but Anyway, so I'm going to talk about all the early childhood that I had, and maybe you could relate to it, maybe not. Um, and we'll just kind of go with that. So my early childhood signs uh, were actually when I looked at the evaluation that I had, <laughs> I know I keep like, I'm going to tell you guys, and then I like, uh, anyways, um, but I looked at the evaluation that I have, and if you hear me flipping through pages, because I'm I'm literally flipping through my diagnosis, and I was looking at the Pacific exam because I did not at first I didn't understand like I got through when I went through the journey of that, and I'll talk about that later on. But um, I had other you know tests that went with the journey of it, um, so they can make my test more conclusive. But when I looked at what was written for my childhood and i'm gonna pull it out right now uh let's see this is the summary so basically um some of the things that were put onto my diagnosis sheet was the fact that i um just in general like when i was doing the test i wasn't giving a lot of eye contact um and that was also something that my mom and my brother had stated that she's not really good at getting eye contact and um everything was small like i would even get yelled at for not giving eye contact which i think is an issue of itself um because it was like oh are you trying to hide something blah blah, blah. so those are the things that i got um and and, and it's surprising me because like that's a clear sign of like, you know, now I know it's a clear sign of ASD. And if, you know, if people knew about it, if we had the resources that we had now to explain what it is and stuff like that, I think that would have been an indication because I not only got yelled at by family members, but I also got yelled at by teachers. So it was definitely a thing that I would do with everyone. You know, I would get yelled at by teachers by looking me in the eye when I'm talking to you, you know, like the whole thing so that was one of the things of my childhood but even before that childhood when I was like a baby I had uh and it's funny how they say everything else was normal like I was able to you know I guess tie my shoes on time walk on time but I had a very delayed speech and I had to um go to speech therapy and occupational speech therapy uh which is funny because occupational therapy is something that autistic individuals have to go through but you know some of them have to go through it their entire life some just have to do it through their early childhood or whatever and that was something i had to do as well because i had issues with walking i couldn't like properly walk so the fact that they said that i walked at that time but then i had to wear boots until like i was like uh i forget which age but it was like till at least i was eight years old um because i wasn't walking properly and the boots helped me to make sure that i was like walking properly um because i would do this thing where I would, like 
I guess curl. I don't know what exactly, but it, the boots helped me with that. Um, and so my mom had to like specifically buy me boots. Um, and then also the speech therapy I had when I was a kid or when I was a baby, like 18, they said 18 to 30 months, um, when I was living in New York, but then we moved and we didn't have the same sort of help moving to Florida, um, cause I was born in New York. And so that's sort of ended there. But then throughout my education, my academic education, I would always be put onto learning more phonics and, and I would have to take more of the reading courses because I struggled with like speaking and reading and all those stuff like that, speech and stuff like that. So I had a sort of speech therapy while going to school. Now, I think if I was in public school, so I do, I went to private school. I think I was in public school. I probably would have been put on like special not special education but maybe like uh i would have some sort of special class extra class i would need to take that would be available but i went to private school and that's not what you do um you think private schools are better but i think they're just more a private school is just another name of like specialized and we only do this stuff and if you agree with it then you know go to our school um you know it's not really like better education i think it's just different education that's what i'm trying to say but anyways yeah so other things that that's were the earlier signs that it says on my book it also mentions well i actually didn't mention this part is the stimming the stimming that i used to do as a kid was quite different um or a, a big sign that i had autism as a chick kid i also would get yelled at or told not to do i would do this thing this humming thing like mm, all the time um and i would do it specifically even do it more when the vacuum was around because it felt like i could do it then because the vacuum's already loud and why not do it when no one could really hear me? But then I did get caught one time and I remember this like it was yesterday. I got caught doing it and then stopping it when the vacuum would stop. And then like my mom was like, what are you doing? You can't do that. Stop making that noise. Like, what are you doing? Like, I was crazy for doing it. And I didn't even realize that was considered, I mean, obviously I was a, I was a kid, you know, like I thought this was like normal and I didn't understand why I would get like punished or told that I was, you know, you shouldn't do that because you know you're crazy not crazy they didn't tell me i was crazy but like pretty much you know inciting that i was um and and it did make sense to me because it was something that was so calming to me so i felt amazing you know i felt very calm when it happened it calmed me down and yet there were i was told that no you need to stop um that was a huge um stim of mine and um one thing that wasn't put on my paperwork, but I think it should have been put in my paperwork, or maybe it was, we talked about it, but it wasn't something that they decided to put on the overall packet or something like that. Um, and then also another sign or symptom that I had in the childhood was being in my own little world. Like everywhere I go, people would tell me, oh, Sandy's just in her own little world and like doing her own little thing, you know, like I literally was like that that kid that would just be like off playing by myself and be totally content. <laughs> by the way, be totally content in <laughs> playing uh, alone. <laughs> and 
and be my own little world. And uh, I could do that for hours and hours and hours. Um, I, again, like at school and in, uh, um, at home. Uh, so that was what was said on the evaluation. Um, what says about my own little world and the stimming thing, that was one thing that wasn't necessarily like, oh, well, it was touched on my own little world, though that was touched on the stimming did not, because I don't even think my mom or none of my family members would have known that that was a stim to bring up you know like i knew about stim yes i heard about them but the the stims that i would hear is hand flapping and that was it those are limited knowledge of like the scope of various ways of stimming like it's not just hand flapping um and i i wish that was like taken out almost because i feel like most autistic individuals do not hand flap um as often enough to put it into a book like i've seen stem of all shapes and forms and uh you know one of the least amount that i see is hand flopping um and i think it's because it's becoming the the it's almost like the the stigma of hand flopping you know like and i think autistic people want to blend in so they mask and they do other things as as that to do it but i could be wrong um but that's just my experience. I I did, may sometimes I do, um, but it's very rare. My other, again, like you know that it's like the stigma. So like I feel like for me, my other I had other sims that made me feel a lot more comfortable. Um, so that's just like my experience with that whole thing. Okay, so now that was when I was like elementary that was like baby elementary and middle school time um and i'm going to talk about about i'm going to talk a little bit about the transition from that to high school and then from high school to my first years of college now in high school when i first went to high school i was a little bit taken back because one i went from a private school which was very small intimate um and i graduated with like only 15 you know students and to this you know to this high school um that was overcrowded and i had four thousand you know like people at the school you know so it was quite shocking in that sense and quite a big change and i would also have to take the bus in the morning and there are certain smells that i would bother me and all these different things and these are things i obviously realized after getting diagnosed like those things would bother me and why bothered me and why I would be upset or something like that but yeah so I transitioned to high school then we moved um my first year in high school but I just remember my first year in high school and how I was trying so hard to like fit in or find a group or whatever and um of like you know people and I would I I guess I was in my own little bubble at the private school that I was in because like when I got there everything I was doing was the first time I was not I was able to not have to wear a uniform so I didn't even know what to wear but you know the things that I would wear like outside uniform oh let me go back to my childhood real quick actually when I was a kid I would wear the exact same thing every single day now it wasn't the okay so I, just, I say exact same thing but I would wear the same style 
every single day. So it were t-shirts and it was a summer camp t-shirts. I literally would take my brother's summer camp t-shirt because we used to go to summer camp every year. So we had tons of the summer camp because every year you have to get a new one. Uh, I wear my summer camp t-shirt with my long pair of jeans or my short pair of jeans. And that was what I wore every single day. And I loved it. I loved it. And then every time I would go to Disney, I would wear the exact same outfit every single time. It would be my pink pants with my brown boots and my pink flowery long sleeve. Now, if it was hot, because it is Florida, um, I wore something the exact same that I just don't remember at the moment, but it was always like jeans and t-shirt, jeans and t-shirts, and then boots whenever, you know, because I had to wear boots. And so, um, essentially <laughs> when I got to high school <laughs> and I was like, oh, maybe, and everyone was wearing different things. I'm like, oh, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to wear different things, you know? Um, cause it was, I thought, I was like, oh, well, why not? Like, you know, you think that someone who wears uniform would have a problem wearing uniforms because, you know, it's uniforms. <laughs> but me, I was like, okay i just why not just wear the same thing it's comfortable i feel comfortable and it gets the job done now i'm completely different but that was my thought process another sign i think also of asd is that they wear the same thing every single day um and they got to a part part it got to a point <laughs> i don't know where i was going with that but it got to a point where my mom would literally ruin those t-shirts not the jeans because they cost money um so i couldn't wear them anymore um that made me really sad like she purposely did that she would throw them out and slowly but surely it would be taken away and i was like that that's the clothes i want to wear um but anyways in high school i would try to wear i remember this specifically wear different styles or what i thought was cool and one time i did come to school and I got made fun of because I wore this like really silly style and dinners and wine the whole situation then we moved to another school and I realized I think when I finally moved to their school I realized that there is something quite different for me like because I was reading with so many personalities and it wasn't like people I grew up with and so they kind of were used to my quirks or whatever and even in childhood and I think that's another reason I want to talk about childhood in general, like make a podcast just talking about different stories that happen, you know, in childhood because there's so many. But even at the school I was at, I would get teased all the time for, oh, she's weird. You don't want to be her friend. Like I literally have had someone said that to me um, or about me, I should say, um, when I was like in seventh or eighth grade or something like that, she's weird. Don't talk with her. I would get made fun of all the time um, for just being weird. And um, I would always get picked last, you know, all that stuff that you go through, um, all the weird things that you go through. Uh, so in, in high school, it didn't change, but it was amplified and magnified um because especially when i moved to the second high school that i went to um and i didn't have my brother there because my brother was there with me in the high school before but then he actually went to another high school when we moved um so it was kind of like just me 
being at this high school um and i that was a time where i really realized that there there might be something like wrong with me or off with me and um one thing that i had is like i had a friend who's my friend but i would like i remember like she was my friend good friend and stuff like that but i would like do those things that uh, autistic individuals do where they like run their mouth about something they really really love and they can't stop i knew i was doing that with her i knew that she was my friend and then after that year you know we never talked nor was i interested in talking to her it was kind of like <sighs> i didn't understand why and that actually is funny because i read in my um in my uh and i keep digressing this is a problem why i didn't want to do this but like i read in my uh evaluation that that was one of the things she didn't understand like why she had to talk to someone on the phone she could see them at school that was the huge thing in high school like people would go to parties and blah, blah, blah. i never got invited to a party I never got invited to any of those things because i didn't see the point i didn't see the point of like getting someone's number i didn't see the point on any of that stuff so for me it was kind of like why am i doing it um so that was the whole thing then after graduating and realizing that a lot of people around me and, and seeing that a lot of people around me made a lot of good friends after graduating you know the people that they were taking pictures with and i remember not taking pictures with anyone um which now i know is is weird um but i didn't really see that as that and i just remember like <laughs> like basically like okay i guess that's that's just i'm gonna go home now <laughs> you know um so i think that's when i started to realize and then my first year of college hit and my first year of college that's when I uh, lost my grandma and um, uh, so after that I decided to go and um, take it was my first like I guess conscience uh, psychologist like going to a psychologist for grief and when I was talking to the grief counselor I realized how beneficial it was like to talk to someone about what you're going through and you know me losing my someone so dear to me she was like my mom um and because she wasn't just like a grandma that you know you saw every summer it was like she lived with us so you know and she raised me helped raise me so it was very hard it was the first time i went to a psychologist and that was in 28 2008 um and then i think two years after that is when I first learned about Asperger's um, in 2010. Um, I learned it because there was a professor at the college I went attended and we got along really well, but it was in a way that like, you know, like you get along with your professors. I got along with most of my professors in my entire life. So it wasn't like significant, but it was a different way of thinking that he understood the way of thinking is a little bit different and how he would be perceived i was also being perceived as like kind of awkward people a lot of times would call him awkward or you know what is he doing like he would do weird things that but it felt very normal to me um so it was very difficult to understand why people thought it was weird 
So yeah, it was uh, definitely a weird situation to go under. And um, it was one of those moments where you're like, okay, well, he's kind of quirky like me. and But not knowing exactly what to do with that. Not knowing exactly how to how to deal with that situation. And knowing that this person is similar uh, to you, but in a different way. And that's when I came across like uh, I like try to add all my professors when I was done with you know teach well not, I said teaching um taking the classes and he was one of the ones that I wanted to keep in touch with so I it was funny because <laughs> I looked on his page and there was like this conference video thing is the most randomest thing to find you know this is like when Facebook was starting to become famous so um First of all, I didn't like Facebook. I was still on uh, my space love or whatever. But it was the most random thing that I found on his page. Like, it was one thing that was randomly on his page that I looked at. I was like, what is this? Like, what is this? It was like, it was so weird. It was so weird. I was just like looking at this. And it was a video and conference about Asperger's and and talking about Asperger's and this, I don't even remember the name of the conference. I don't remember anything like that. I just remember thinking, well, that's weird. And I was like, but that kind of explains him. Like if he, and like, oh, he must have it. This is what, you know. And so I got more and more curious, like this is what he may have. So I'm curious because like, it kind of sounds, you know, um, like something I should be listening to. <laughs> and I wasn't thinking that I had it. A matter of fact, when I heard it first, I was like, yeah, I definitely don't have that. Definitely, definitely don't have it. Because one thing that I said, it was like in white male. So I was like, yeah, I'm definitely not a white male. But I'm so curious about learning about this thing because I don't know exactly what got me to spark the interest. If I'm thinking about it, like, what was it i think it was just the fact that he was so similar and awkward these similar to me that i was just like i need to know more about this thing because i think he might have it um and so i was like okay i'm curious so <laughs> i got more curiouser and curiouser um and in 2010 when i found it was like the summer it was like my birthday month when I really actually it was in May when I first found out and then it was like July when I was like okay I'm really one so many transitions happened like I decided to take a gap year I wanted to go to Italy for a year but that didn't that fell through really quickly um and so I took a gap year um and it was kind of like the gap year uh slash it was like a half gap year and I'll explain in a minute what that means and it was also my time of reflection and then also just diving into this world that I just found out this word that I just found out Asperger's and stuff like that and I was like this is the first time that I'm like finding this thing out and that year I was the best year I needed to take like a half gap year and I say half gap year because I was still taking classes I was still tied to the to the college I was attending to. Uh, I was taking classes that I needed to take, and then but most of it was like more fun classes that I wanted to take because I knew I needed uh, a break from architecture, like design. 
I wanted to just explore and do new things and explore life and stuff like that and get to know myself because I wasn't able to go to Italy. So I was like, well, can't go to Italy. Let me explore myself here in the United States. So I took guitar class. I took a singing class. And that's when I first learned guitar. Um, that's when I learned my voice or got introduced to my voice. Um, I also took my mono printing class, which is now I'm a mono printing artist. Um, and that was just because I, of that year. Like, if I didn't take mono printing, I would not be an artist the way I am today. <laughs> and I would not, like, like literally that gap year is so significant and the pivoting point of my life, not only for my career perspectives, but also for my, for me getting diagnosed. Like, that year was the year that I explored and, and I really wanted to understand this world and I would get books, um, and watch movies. Some of the books that I got was Aspie Girls, um, Asperger's in Adulthood, Asperger's in Business, because it was a, you know, it, it's a workplace. So maybe it'll help me with that aspect. Some of the movies, the first movie I think, I mean, the first movie I consciously watched that addressed um, Asperger's was Temple Grandin. And I really didn't relate to it because she's a different she's a, a different spectrum than i am so it, and i took everything very literally I'm like okay this is what it looks like because she's diagnosed so i must look like her and i'm like i don't really fit that so there was a lot of like that like watching movies didn't really help because you know as asd individuals we take things literally so we we're like okay this is the way they act okay that's how i was supposed to act so if i don't act like, if i don't if I do not act that way, then I must not have it. And that was, now I can know it's wrong because there is a spectrum. And when you meet one person on the spectrum, you meet one person. But at the time, I was like, okay, there's no way because I'm totally not like that. Um, So some of the movies I watched that were available at the time. And I think they're also, they're good movies, but they're also really bad movies in terms of understanding the diversity so i watched the temple grandin um i watched the other sister i watched when i was a kid when i was smaller but i never viewed her as having asd um so or autism or any of that like it was just like a really good movie that my aunt really really loved and watched all the time you know it was that but then i rewatched it during this journey and um, I still didn't connect with her at all because obviously there's a difference. She was part of a different spectrum, you know. Um, but there are some things that I saw that it was interesting and intriguing, like how the family reacted towards her from that dynamic. Inter interesting. Um, other movies that I watched, the first one I saw that was about like love or whatever, like, you know, um, autistic individuals, Asperger people. Finding Love was Mozart and the Whale and I thought that was like really cool to see because it was actually that was the first movie other than Temple Grandin that I saw another girl being like the main character um in the movie um that had Asperger's which was something I didn't see um but I love Mozart and the Whale and I, I related to it I related to her kind of free spirit about life or whatever um and her kind of artsy side of it um 
so it made me like that i was like i related more to that and then <laughs> i watched movies like adam adam was like a newer movie during that time because it came out like in 2008 and then my name is con my name is con actually was the one that i related to the most adam was yes but um there were things that i was like I definitely don't relate to things he's a little like he has that but i think he had a little bit of ocd um which is not something you know but i related in adam with things like uh when he his jaw for instance when he focuses on the details and you know he's very slow with things i relate to that as well so but this is kind of how I started the journey of the long gaslighting journey of mine was looking at these very stereotypical uh, movies, but then also reading these stereotypical books. And I did worried about like the autism spectrum and stuff like that. But it was kind of like one of those situations where you're just like, I was reading about, it, I was interested about it. And now I know it was like my uh one of my interests that i obsess about like at once i i'm interested in something i want to know everything about that was one of my things and i didn't realize then that me finding out information being obsessed about finding information was one of those things um but i was always constantly gaslighting myself I'm like no nah, i don't have it i don't have it i don't have it i don't have it literally is what i told myself for the first year um during that time i also because I was still dealing with grief, I did go to the psychologist and the first psychologist I mentioned that I may think I have something like that was also the last psychologist that I, I went to um, by just like being introduced and stuff like that because I felt like no one really believed me when I was talking about like even my grief, like even talking about my grief, it wasn't really believed I'm like, I lost someone, you know? So I think that has to do on the side of minorities not being believed when they're going through something. So even when they're willing to be helped and get the help that they need, they're not given that help. Even though they are there, they're paying and they're trying to improve themselves, they're not actually getting help. They're being told that they'll be fine and it is a process and, you know, it felt very not comforting. There was a lack of empathy for from a lot of psychologists that I saw. Um, and I think that goes with that. So there's that sort of gaslighting in terms of grief um, and me going for grief. But at the same time, I knew some things were helping. Like just talking to someone, I think, helped. And so that's when I started to do more and more of that. So I, I kept bouncing to different psychologists. But the first time that I was ready to talk to someone about it. it was like early late 2011 um so it's been like almost a year no no it's been more than a year year and a half um and i wanted to um basically what i wanted to do was basically talk to someone and specifically say that i'm thinking that i might want to go through the process of getting diagnosed for um as as an aspie you know like what do i need to take steps so um that's what i was looking for i was looking for someone who had that background with dealing with that and um i would always find childhood but i would never find adult so in my area i should say and so i went to someone who did a child 
stupid and that went horribly wrong. And then I, then I tried someone else who focused on adult, like diagnoses and stuff like that, but it wasn't specifically like her expertise. It did include that, but it wasn't her specialty. Her specialty was more other things. I forget. I don't remember what it was, but anyways, um, from there, I went to her and that was the first one I actually really did say, like, I want to get, I want to go through the process to see if I am or not. And she kept putting it off. And I saw this doctor for like three, four months or whatever in 2011. Um, And she kept pushing and she was like, oh, well, you know, you know, I don't think that's what it is. Let's just talk about it more. Let's just figure out what's going on. And it was so bad at one point, you know, I was telling her my experiences, you know, and what I would do on a constant basis. But it, she was such a bad, like, psychologist that she even, like, she was trying to diagnose, like, other family members of mine and trying to, you know, diagnose other people while I'm talking to her about, like, my experiences and how I was feeling and I'm just like are you really trying to diagnose someone that I'm telling you is is you know like a concern for me (laughs) like what like it was so bad so I think that's when I started to like you know look for other situations and I continued up for like four months or something like that I believe and then I finally found a doctor who specializes in diagnosing. Okay, so this concludes part one of Autistic Adults Diagnosed as a Woman of Color, The Long Gaslighting Journey. Um, thank you so much for listening to part one. I know I and I recognize that I did not mention that there would be more than one part to this journey. But as I'm editing this podcast right now, I'm realizing that it's probably best if I split it into two, at least two, I should say. (laughs) We'll see what happens. Um, But yeah, thank you so much for um, joining in. Um, And I do recognize in the beginning, it does not say that this is going to be a part one or part two. But if you made it to the end, then that means you are listening and you are curious. So um, the next part two will be posted in a week a week and a half from now or maybe two weeks from now Uh, it just depends on scheduling things so i hope you have a wonderful day and thank you for listening to this podcast Um, don't forget to share this podcast with other individuals and also like and let me know and communicate with me if you want to hear other things or topics or stuff like that um, for a future podcast and I will take it in consideration. Thank you. Bye.